Hello and welcome to Our Son Pete, a monthly Patreon-exclusive WMQ&A bonus podcast where I, Dan Grote, read through every appearance of British mutant spymaster Peter Winston Wisdom. This month we're covering Pride and Wisdom number one, aka now back to the good part. And because we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about Pete and Kitty as a couple, I thought it appropriate to call in the relationship experts. You know them from the podcast Comic Book Couples Counseling. It's Brad and Lisa Gullickson. Howdy, y'all. Hello. Hello. We experts. We are experts in loving each other. Uh Oh, yeah. But we have no other qualifications or special skills. (laughs) But that doesn't stop us. And that's how we're an inspiration. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Dan, we're so excited to be here. Uh, I, I have to put this out to all your listeners right now. I know very little about Pete Wisdom. I'm sure we've encountered Pete Wisdom at some point in our reading history, but he's never really stuck. And I never like obsessed with Excalibur. Lisa, you were never really into Excalibur, were you? No. And I'm fascinated by this idea of wanting to cover every Pete Wisdom comic appearance. And we we are sure you have covered this. Yeah, I know you've told this to your fans, but. This is our first time. We're not patrons as of yet. We may be patrons based on how this conversation. <laughs> how well Ooh. we do. Yeah. <laughs> Pressure's on. Great. All right. <laughs> but we need to know why Pete Wisdom every comic appearance discussion. Why 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 do you why? create a podcast why? around it? Why am I doing this to myself? Yes, that's an excellent and valid and question. Because you've dragged us into it. Too. That's fair. Yes, and others. Uh <laughs> I, you know, the the thing about being an X-Men fan, right, is everyone has their their sort of favorite obscure mutant who only has like a couple dozen appearances, right? And mm-hmm. f- this is the guy that I imprinted on when I was, I think, 15 years old. I think he might have made his first appearance. You know, just this like smart ass guy in a trench coat and cigarettes you know, mouthing off to everybody, but then eventually the edges soften and he becomes part of the team, you know, uh, kind of a comic relief character, but also he's sudden, he's driving all these sort of X-Files-ish plots that are now happening because it's the mid-90s and, <laughs> you know, uh, far be it from Marvel not to jump on a trend. Uh, you know, it just, it came at the right time. And, you know, I, I have these fond memories of walking around downtown Union, New Jersey with with Matt Lazowitz, my co-host on, on WMQ&A, and talking about this guy, like, and like actively being like, he's so fucking cool. Where did he come from? <laughs> you know, and, you know and- what? I, I feel like I get it. You know, like when I was in middle school, I, I was into music of the late 60s. And, um, you know, I could have picked the Beatles. I could have. I could mm-hmm. have picked the Beatles, but I was like, no, I'm giving my heart to the monkeys. And you were like, I could have John Constantine, but no, I'm giving my heart to Pete Wisdom. Yeah, that's fair. That is that is <laughs> totally fair. And also at that age, I'd never read any John Constant- Constantine comics. So. <laughs> I, I I had the 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 Marvel uh, discount version. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, as long as your love is true, we respect it. Of course, like I did a little bit of a deep dive on Pete Wisdom before coming on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by deep dive, I mean I looked up his Wikipedia page. And I did discover that he's based on a character from the Sweeney, the British cop show that I did love in college. Like I was obsessed with the Sweeney. And that was back at a time when you could not get the Sweeney easily. You had to, you had to get those bootleg VHS tapes. (laughs) And I adored collecting those things. And now knowing that the character is somewhat inspired by, uh, Detective Jack from the Sweeney, I don't see it, but I <laughs> I I love the idea of it. And, and and that's that's all you need, you know. Sometimes all you need is is the idea of it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, before we dive in, uh, I like to start with new business. So uh, Pete continues to be a supporting player in Teeny Howard and Vasco Georgiev's Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain. Uh, he showed up in issue number three this month or last month, uh, helping Dr. Faiza Hussein run a triage clinic in London during a battle with the Fury and offering to make people tea because he is a very sweet boy. (laughs) But uh, let's uh, catch people up from last month. Previously in Excalibur number 101, the team returns home from saving London to learn their American cousins are having a tough time of it due to Charles Xavier becoming Onslaught. And while their hearts stay, stay go, their Moira says stay. So with that out of the way, let's talk about Pride and Wisdom number one, Mystery School, cover date September 1996, written by Warren Ellis, drawn by Terry Dodson and Carl Story, uh, inked by Aaron Lepresti, Jason Martin, Rachel Pinnock, and Tom Simmons, color by Ariane Lenschweck with enhancement by Malibu, letter by Richard Starkings and Comicraft, and edited by Matt Idelson with special thanks to Suzanne Gaffney, and a cover by Dodson and Simmons. So, uh, this is very early uh, in Terry Dodson's career. This was like his second Marvel miniseries after uh, he did a four issue storm series also written by Ellis. Uh, you know, this is, this is 25, 30 years before he becomes known as like the cheesecake cover guy. What are your thoughts on, on early Terry Dodson? I like it, but it is weird to see someone else inking Terry Dodson, you know, mm-hmm. Rachel Dodson, I miss her, you know, Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. but at the same time, even this early on in Dotson's um, career, there is like the, the hallmarks, like the expressions on the faces of these characters are still kind of the expressions that you see on Dodson characters today. Uh, And, you know, it's, it's that it's writing that line of cartoony and house style and I I dig it. Lisa, what, what was your takeaway? I mean, I love the way that he gives everyone these big saucer-sized yeah. Disney princess yeah. eyes. Um, <laughs> I, I do find it very expressive. It's also so extremely cuddly and 90s. I think that's that's what it is. Disney princess eyes, super cuddly. Very nineties. I like. I just find it, you know, very warm. Yeah, I, I get that. I, uh, you know, I've I've found over the years that I prefer Dotson's covers to his sequentials, but I feel like here, where he is still kind of finding his feet, and there's a little bit more house style. You know, it 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 does work for me. Uh, 
although you could probably make the argument the fact that there's like four different inkers uh you know probably doesn't do the book any favors i it mean takes it a... gets wonky in places yes yes there, yes there, it there, does <laughs> there are pages uh that are very strange uh and then you know like the sequentialing is pretty basic and again there's like some pages like when the car is leaping tower bridge yeah uh and pete and kitty are levitating and then falling out of the car uh, that's paneling i kind of like uh, but for the most part like the action sequentialing doesn't i mean it doesn't really do anything yeah yeah there were some page turns where i felt like it had to do some like mental connections of like okay what exactly exactly happened in between these panels like you know a couple of wonky panels doesn't really bother me i'm just not that guy i like i i i get it I get, you know, you're drawn all the time. Yeah, and you got, you're got you on a deadline. Everybody has a weird day at work, you know, like, you know, a wonky panel now and then. Who cares? But, you know, on the first page turn, like when you open the cover and you get the title page with that gnarly little yeah. skeleton, like, I think that's a very effective title page. And that skeleton to introduce you to the threat of this series is effective. Like, like it, it works. I'm already going like, oh, no, there's some bad people afoot. And the uh, the the with the black bars. I mean, well, first of all, I we sh- I should say there's like black gutters throughout the, and and bleed throughout this entire panel, mm-hmm. but or comic. But yeah. on the on the first page where you get the black bars, you know, I've, we've talked in the past about you know noted sex pest. Warren Ellis is is the sort of the godfather of quote unquote cinematic comics, but like this is definitely like he's starting to play with that sort of widescreen format. You know, with uh, having Dotson kind of present the splash this way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you see this kind of gateway into a comic a lot during this point in time in Marvel Comics. Yeah. Um, And I was a big time sucker for it then, and I'm still a big time sucker for it now. So quick summary for this issue. Uh, when the daughter of an old friend of Pete's goes missing again, Pete and Kitty return to London to try to track her down. And also there's serial killer shit going on. Well, I'm curious about the reasoning for having a, a Pride and Wisdom miniseries. You know, it's, Ellis at the time was working on Excalibur, correct? He was. So these these three issues run concurrently with his last three issues of Excalibur. And so, you know, again, just like I was never really into Pete Wisdom, I was never really into Excalibur, but I was aware that its popularity, you know, it would go up and down. Are we at a high point then of Excalibur's popularity? I mean, were any comics really popular at this point? Uh, but yeah, given we're, we're like right around when Marvel declared bankruptcy. Yeah. Uh, this is so Ellis's run was a critical high point for the book at the time you know because there had been sort of like after alan davis leaves in like the the 50s or 60s uh it's basically just like it becomes scott lovedell moves in it becomes sort of this placeholder x book so you know it, it very much kind of loses direction loses focus ellis comes in originally kind of finishing a pitch that Lobdell had had regarding the soul sword and 
makes the book his own, introduces Pete Wisdom. And at the same time, he's getting all these cast off characters from other books. So he picks up Wolfsbane from X Factor. He picks up Colossus from X-Men. Uh, and, and soon the cast kind of becomes unwieldy, uh, which I, I think you can kind of see uh, in that book. So we're coming to the tail end of that. You do get sort of three issues that there's no, there's no room for an arc anymore. Like the clock is winding down and you've just kind of got the ball. And I think he's more excited to write this miniseries than he is the last three issues of his, his team book and kind of move on to other projects. Gotcha. And we don't really get three issue miniseries now. Like it's not a format that you see too often, but it was something that Marvel would play with fairly frequently around this time and earlier. Well, so that's, it's interesting that you say that because in the uh, Bolton Bolton's page, there's an ad for a two-issue X-Men versus the Brood miniseries. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of would like three-issue arcs, two-issue arcs to come back. Like, I love a one-shot, and, and, and I like just the idea of giving just a little bit more. Like, right now, we're getting... Um, you know, Tom King and Mitch Jarrett are doing Batman Brave and the Bold. It's like a three issue storyline. Mm-hmm. And the way that they can justify that is like, well, we can take that and then pair it with our Riddler One Bad Day. And if you put those four issues together, that's that's basically a trade paperback. Mm-hmm. So the idea of like taking three issue stories and two issue stories and then sort of packaging them as a trade, I think we could we could bring that back. I that that would be wonderful if the plot is one that is like scaled to three issues because this is a three issue miniseries this pride and wisdom and it's got so much plot like so much there's a serial killer uh britain hasn't set up finding their mutants yet uh, there are runes. The mystery school. There, there are fossils. The relationship between. And they're like, we're going to wrap this up in three issues. Well, and I'm you like, went ahead and read I all did. the three issues. I stuck to the assignment <laughs> and I just read the one issue. I am an overachiever and a people But your feeling is that they could have used four issues or five issues to I, wrap this I up? Think, uh, yeah, I think that this is an, a six issue arc squeezed awkwardly into three issues okay. all right so it's a lot of i plot. withhold judgment until i get to read it <laughs> i've never withheld judgment <laughs> i i and i wonder how much of that is like we're so inured to decompress storytelling at this mm-hmm. point and six issue trades that when there's something like this that has that is throwing that much spaghetti at the walls you know our natural instinct 25 years on is like this could have been six issues or or, mm-hmm. or the natural instinct for this guy is oh i like this three issues okay good <laughs> i have time for three issues <laughs> exactly but uh let's let's start let's talk about pete and kitty as a couple uh what what works for you and and what doesn't in this book I know you have a hot opinion. I'm, 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 I'm making you go first. Um, I am not a huge fan of okay. antagonistic couples, like what, mm-hmm. couples that like they're they're bickering all of the time, but that's what makes them want to bang for some reason. It's the screwball comedy thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, where like, no person 
it like the woman is nagging and the man is refusing to make concessions for her and i don't know like to me it's just like uh it it like reads just like a little bit toxic and non-aspirational well as somebody who grew up in those uh toxic uh narratives lisa uh the hill the his girl friday in me uh kind of loves it i i like i i recognize that it's definitely not healthy yeah but i also find it kind of um i don't know like archaically charming (laughs) (laughs) i mean that that used to be every like romantic comedy right where it's like you know uh the guy is insufferable, but she can't resist him. Like, and I don't know. I, I like to me, like, uh, I it offends me equally that it is tired as it is offensive. Well, again, you've read beyond this issue, but just based on what I've read in this issue, I feel like they do enough to establish they're kind of like ex status, right? They're, they they were a couple and then now they're currently not a couple. No, they're, still- no, they're a couple. They- they're, they're, a couple. A, they're currently a couple of this they comic? Are, they are currently a couple. Okay, they feel like exes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's what makes it spicy. They're, on, they're, they're definitely on their way to being exes. That's funny. I read it totally like they once were a thing and now there's some animosity between them, but the, also they still kind of find each other cute. And so maybe yeah. while they're investigating this thing, they might bang for a little bit. Uh, no. And then, you know, decide, let, let's try again. They're an item and he is awful, but he has trauma. So it's kind of like, okay. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty accurate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, I feel like because they, they spend so much time bantering in this comic i really feel like ellis because this is okay so for some context we talked about how the team got unwieldy when ellis first introduced wisdom there was like a three issue story in excalibur called the dream nails trilogy where they hooked up for the first time pete and kitty Mm -hmm. uh you know, this is this story is like their first sort of spotlight as a couple since that story where you okay. just get to follow these two running around London, uh, you know, and Dream Nails was very much in that sort of X-Files mold here. We're, where and, and whereas that one was more, I think, of like like a conspiracy episode. This is more monster of the week. Mm hmm. Um, just because it, it's more of a self-contained story. Right. But also, I think he's trying to give them, while, while, while recognizing that they are the characters who they are, that they are, give them a sort of sh- coat of Nick and Nora Charles paint. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. I recognize that absolutely. And that's what I respond to. It, it, there's there's good banter here. I mean, they're, they're still not Ralph and Sue Dibney, but <laughs> <laughs> they're on their way. Yeah. Um, Kitty makes a lot of old jokes toward Pete in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the age difference with a thing when they first got together, it, it, it seems to be being played more for laughs here. Uh in Dream Nails, they kind of were each thinking to themselves that there must be a 10-year age gap between them. 
but probably not. Hopefully not. I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's not Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Relationship <laughs> where people are like, oh, you know, Kitty's kind of young for him. <laughs> that is true. It's a, it's a real Zach Braff, Florence Pugh romance. Um, <laughs> and it's a thing. Uh, there is, there's a caption that uh, early in the book they call, oh yeah, it's on page two. Uh, that calls Pete and Kitty the heart and soul of Excalibur. Hmm. That is a bold claim and not true, uh, considering <laughs> Pete's only been on the team for about a year of publishing time. Kitty is absolutely the heart of the team. The soul is probably like Nightcrawler. Yeah. Pete is like the pack of cigarettes rolled up into Excalibur's t-shirt sleeve. But it's also obvious reading this one issue that Ellis loves the character and is trying really hard to make this character a thing. This is his Poochie. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Accurate. Like that's like the biggest takeaway for me regarding Pete wisdom is that somebody is working real hard to make us care about him. And, you know, for the most part, I think, Well, you know, again, I I would be curious to know how I felt about the character if I was following him away from Kitty Pride. Um, But for the most part, them together, you know, I'm into, like I said, I could read, I could read a few series like this. I I have a question. Like, so Mm -hmm. the um, caption boxes, they have that like different typesetting. Is there a narrator for this, or is this just like what's uh, like? Is it the cigarette smoking man typing yeah, all this stuff up? Is this an omnipotent narrator. Uh, okay, so no. What this is is in the mid '90s, uh, digital lettering started, and Richard Starkings and Comicraft became the letterer of every comic ever. Mm-hmm. And basically, they had all these fonts, and they were just fucking around and finding out. And okay. so like okay. this is this this isn't consistent with what he they used in Excalibur. And in fact, what they use in Excalibur for a while varied from issue to issue while they were just trying to figure out, well, let's 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 try and do a box and zapping bats and see what works. Like they're they're just playing with fonts. That mm. that's all it is. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is this is also the first story in a while that feels like it's full of Ellis ideas, the the fossilized skeletons with the writing on the bones and the glowing hearts and the John Constantine parodies and like, oh, here's a bunch of new weirdos <laughs> and here's something weird about each and one of them. And tying it back to like Jack the Ripper. Yeah, yes. I like it. There cannot be another serial killer in England without it going back to Jack the Ripper. I find that so funny. What I found interesting was which I wish the story went more into is the religious angle where like, this is a serial killer who is specifically seeking out uh, uh, priests and theologists. And, and I feel like, uh, I mean, like I find that fascinating. And I think that, that, that deserved more time. Again, a six could have been a six issues. Mm Mm-hmm. A simmering plot at this point is the fact that these characters are contemplating saying I love you to each other for the first time. Right. Uh, Okay. Yeah. So I was like picking up because like there's that whole bit with Kitty 
talking, you know, it, you know, we get the captions, we're inside her head, and mm -hmm. she's working up to say those words. And again, the way I read those that that passage, let's see if I can find it. Oh, I've the, I've screen capped it. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it. Can I just go ahead and read it? Please do, please do. Uh, it's times like this when they're being together. I guess it's not inside. Is it Kitty's head? No, yeah. it's it's that narrator. It's the narrator again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's times like this when they're being together, thinking together, that her heart comes into her mouth and she wants to say those words. Times like this when she's finishing his thoughts, seeing things he doesn't, looking at him with those eyes that he nearly says. Okay. All right. And then of course he doesn't say it. Mm -hmm. um, so like the way I was reading that uh, under the false impression that they were exes is that the possibility of them being true again is there, but now knowing that they are currently a couple in this moment and they haven't said, I love you. And but they also haven't been together that long. Yeah, They're but, still like dating, but the way that that, third person narrator is like it's like the third person narrator is taking the side of kitty you know it's putting you in kitty's perspective of she wants to hear those words that's oh, and, no i i don't get that impression but like, then when it comes down to saying like he is going to say like the next things he's going to say but those the next thing he says is definitely not that he just shuts it down so like the way i read that sequence is that those words are never front and center for him like they were never going to spill out of his mouth certainly not at that point he, he, well, it says, um, he nearly says, dash, dash. And then there's another dash, dash. And he says, hold on. So I think that the implication was that he was also feeling swoony in that moment. But then he had an then epiphany interrupted about, about the plot. The plot, the plot. As it always goes for mutants. The plot is mutants the top plot. So much more banging if there was not plot. Um. <laughs> But, like, what I find interesting about this moment is what they really, like, to me, they don't enjoy their spare time together. They really enjoy two things. And those two things are they really enjoy working together. They love collaborating. They find each other brilliant. And then they also like rolling in the hay, right? Those are the two things that they like. And they're just kind of barely tolerating each other the rest of the time. And then again, just focusing in on the illustration on that page mm -hmm. of the two of them looking at each other. I mean, they both look swoony. Yeah. I he mean, also does look swoony. Yeah. He like he has his dreamy moments. I, too, am a, a victim of the floppy 90s hair. I see that. And I go like <laughs> that rocketeer haircut. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, I love how the part is exactly in the middle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just like a prince. <laughs> like uh, Dimitri from Anastasia, he's not a prince, but he also has the floppy rocketeer hair. And I'm like, you're a hot cartoon. <laughs> oh, God. If, if, if you can picture this, which I'm sure you can't, in 1996, I had that hair. Oh, yeah. That was like the longest my hair had ever been. It was like down to the bottoms of my ears, like parted in the middle. Oh, yeah. I can picture it. Yeah. We've all <laughs> had that hair, uh, folks <laughs> our age. Uh, yeah. We all tried to be the Rocketeer. Mm -hmm. Or Devin Sawa at the end of uh, Casper. Oh, man. Stop can, bringing that movie I'm just up. I'm going to mention every iteration of that hair from. <laughs> 
See, I was going to go with Chris Hardwick hosting Singled Out. Ew, uh. <laughs> He was trying real hard. I did watch a lot of Singled so Out. did I. Man, TV was weird. TV was weird. Then again, like, we just sit around and watch MasterChef, so. Uh, we, it's, like, to judge. it's not like our tastes have gotten more sophisticated though now i'm like gordon ramsay are you hot i can't i can't tell i'm so confused your hair almost parts in the middle but season one it's awful but he has muscles and i hear he smells great i mean he's an ex-footballer isn't he is that true i have no idea is that true yeah maybe we, all we I know about i might have just made that up <laughs> that's he all you need to know really stays fit yeah 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 but i haven't taken a look at them gams <laughs> Can't tell if those are are kick it kicking feet. So, uh, some relationship context for Pete and Kitty. There was an issue of Excalibur not long ago uh, that had been, or in the time of this being published, uh, that was a riff on Days of Future Past, in which England is overrun by a uh, shady British intelligence agency, and the heroes have lost. Partly, not not entirely, but partly because Pete never told Kitty he loved her. <laughs> oh no yeah so, so there's our lives are on the line of those words yes the stakes could not be higher <laughs> they've never been higher that's right <laughs> and so pete telling kitty that he loves her is actually the last thing ellis does before leaving excalibur uh again the same month as this as, as pride and wisdom ends uh and then that is followed immediately by guest writers who don't understand this character and just turn him into asshole boyfriend you know the mm. kind that's just like but babe mm. babe <laughs> yeah whenever you got a really thoughtless writer to take over gambit that would happen yes. also yes. drives yes. me crazy Rogan. gambit could be one of my favorite characters or one of my least favorite characters for that reason rogan gambit though like for me like depending on who writes them their antagonism can be charming or obnoxious kelly thompson makes it work yeah she yes. makes it work and it's because um because gambit does have to compromise and Rogue does not put up with it. Like, cause she's got the kind of like, um, like opinionated Southern, you know, <laughs> you are going to treat me right, which is what sh everyone should strive to be. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, yeah. I think if they were to um, take a few cues, I don't know. Well, they can't because this is the past. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, time does not exist for me. All things are happening right now. But it's that it's that other. same school, though. I mean, you know, there's not the same like you know, one of them can't touch the other because you know this will happen. But the the personality clash couple thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, at one point, uh, this is towards the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh. I've already forgotten his name. Oh, Pete. <laughs> uh, Pete is like, eh, your, your powers feel skeevy to me. When was that moment? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was during... Oh, he doesn't like being made incorporeal. Yeah, when she's facing him out of the car for the jump on Tower Bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like... To oh, me, no. You making us intangible always makes me wish I was dead. Yeah, so like, I love those elements when characters experience what kitty goes through mm -hmm. it, it, using her mutation it's like um 
you know, sometimes in like Star Trek, they you would have characters who would react very poorly to the teleportation, mm. and they would they would kind of describe briefly what it felt like for them. And so, like, just to like contemplate what it's like for Pete to experience Kitty's powers, that phasing, and what that must actually like, what that sensation could possibly feel like, it it's pretty upsetting. Yeah, I mean, like. The makes me wish I was dead. Like, uh, you know, like, is he having an an anxiety attack? Like, is he having a panic attack related like to that? Or it, is it, it just so weird feeling? I would imagine it's kind of like cosmically dreadful. Yeah. You know, th- your body should not be experiencing what it does. And so your brain can barely contemplate what it's going through. Therefore, I wish I was dead. It makes, like, th- like the way he's speaking to her, though... In this page, and then the following page, I'm like, dude, this is her expertise. Just let her steer. She's but, like, okay, I'm gonna make us go solid. And he's like, ah, not too solid. But he's panicking. Look at his expression when he's being pulled out through the roof of the car. That is that is beyond shock. I don't know. I feel like I feel like they've done this a couple of times. I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. They, they, but that's they how have. awful it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, dude, she's got this. And then how about a thank you for pulling me from the car before it explodes? No, British people don't say thank you. Oh, rude. <laughs> they say cheers. <laughs> <laughs> and they say Jack the Ripper. And they say, um, what is it? Toe rag. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, we gotta talk about toe rag. I did we, Google we it. do have to talk about toe rag, because that's like the first time he said that, and he, and he, and again, he said it back in Dream Nails. I'm like, oh, what is this word? I've learned a new word. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you take it to the streets? Try it out? Just start calling people toe rag? It sounds pretty. Offensive. I feel like I'd get beat if I, said, <laughs> if I called somebody a toe rag. Uh, yes. Uh, as, a, as a reminder to our listeners, a toe rag is British slang for a despicable or contemptible person. Yeah. I feel like I should be saying the T word. It sounds so offensive. Yeah, I'm keeping it out of my lingo. <laughs> oh no! Is that? Is, are you going to isolate my voice and then incriminate me? Um. Yeah. Uh, when he first said it, I was like, "Ooh, what is this magic word? The magic word that makes the knives come out of his fingers?" But no, he was just insulting someone. <laughs> also, again, knew nothing about Pete Wisdom. When I learned that his mutant power was hot knives, yes, I was, I was hot finger knives. Do yeah, you love that, Gordon Ramsay? <laughs> Gordon Ramsay would love that would hot, hot knives. I we I joke that Pete Wisdom is the original hot claws. Um, <laughs> yes. Can he make other shapes, or is it just knives? Well, it depends on who's drawing him. That's one of the things. Like mm. every artist draws his power differently. So Ken Lashley, who created Pete Wisdom. Uh, drew them as these little basically diamonds of white heat there's you know uh dotson draws them as doritos on the ends of his fingers they're chunky and they sometimes can go all swirly yeah and then there's there's other artists i mean honestly your 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 lazier artists draw them literally as basically like wolverine claws of flames stretching out of his his hands that's that's kind of the version of it I hate. What but, is your preferred version? What is your favorite version of finger knives, hot knives? <laughs> I, 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 you know, I still like the Lashley diamonds. 
I, I, mm. you know, the ones, the versions where they show like where he's almost got like lasers coming out of his hands, like, like, like a finger cyclops. That always kind of bothers me. <laughs> okay. Finger there, cyclops. Amazing visual. Time, and I, oh my God, it was, it was either Carlos Pacheco or, or Casey Jones. And of course I'm blanking now. But this was this, to date. This is my least favorite use of of his hot knives. He jumps. It was Casey Jones because it was issue one hundred. He jumps out of a plane to catch some guy he's going to fight. He basically has like an issue long, like Peter Griffin and the giant chicken fight, and he uses his hot knives to slow his descent, like they're like to- like. Oh, Iron Man weird. repulsor jets. Oh no. I, I no, that defies no. even made up comic book physics to me. Yeah. yeah. So if in 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 your opinion, if he were to fire his hot knives directly into the ground, how far would they go? Would they hit molten lava and come out the other side oh. or, or would they just go several feet into the ground? I'll take my, I'll take my answer off the air. <laughs> okay, no, this is this is okay. So I would say several feet, several but feet. Uh, last month I had uh, Daniel Kibblesmith on, and we were we were talking about Pete Wisdom's powers, and no one is saying he's like an Omega level mutant or anything like that, but his powers are probably more than we realize or have been written. It's probably one of those things like the right writer comes along and the right plot comes along. And I mean, if he's got knives as hot as the sun, I mean, I mean, that could that's be really probably hot. that's hot. Yeah. <laughs> that's really, really hot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because like it's it's hot knives. Yeah. They are hot. Yeah. I know, hot. How much hot training has he done with these knives? Do you, Is he a really focused training guy or did, did he's like, I, I don't get that impression. You know, or no. is he like I'm having a smoke and fingers for knives. He knives do- figures, hot, hot figures. Hot <laughs> he does not tend to like using his powers. He's, mm. you know, and in fact, like, I wouldn't say he pops his hot knives like with every peer- appearance. Yes. That's not his like first, okay. uh, not his first move. resort. Does, does he ever shoot hot knives by accident? I know what you're trying to get to. Not yeah, that's exactly what I'm you're, trying you're to getting get to the bedroom, aren't you? I am getting to the bedroom, and I'm going. That seems very dangerous. <laughs> seems dangerous to have your boy. But, okay, your, here we go. If if your partner is Kitty Pride, I think everything will be okay. Okay, <laughs> she'll just phase. She'll just phase. <laughs> she'll just phase, and then they'll just have to explain that as they're paying for the hotel room. Sorry about the the bed <laughs> finger knives. <laughs> Hot, Hot finger knives. <laughs> Hot finger knives. Hot and toasty finger knives. Crunchy. Couldn't be helped. Um, <laughs> it, it almost presupposes he should have like, like if psych, God, like Ruby quartz thimbles. <laughs> oh, oh man, smart. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like rubbers. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. What about his toes? Uh, nothing out the toes near as I can tell. Okay. Yeah, that's a different mutant. Different mutant. <laughs> That's the Laura Kinney version of uh, Pete Wisdom. (laughs) That's right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Um, But hmm. he can't control the heat. It's always always as hot as the sun. Like, always. Or can he do, like, less hot? 
No, that's a good question. I don't know if there's there's I mean, uh, temperature control. Then I go like, well, that sounds nice. Like, I mean, it's not. We can lightly toast his. It's fingers. not as hot as the sun. Like in this comic, it's not as hot as the sun. If it was hot as the as the sun, it would be more than just like red fingers. Like the atmosphere around them would be on fire. You know what? I can't. I can't speak with confidence about what would happen if we were near the heat of the sun. Well, I'm a white male and I can speak with confidence. <laughs> I know things. Well, I mean, we do get burned from the sun and it's in outer space right now. Right but now. Is that because, yeah, right now. Is it because of the size or is it because of the heat? Is it the heat of that much sun? <laughs> I don't know. I'll, 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 yeah, no. I, I can't even yes. that. Thank you. That's all I want to hear. This is this is the most we've ever gotten into this. I like that. It's this is we haven't cracked it, but we're asking the right questions. Uh, okay, good. What about the question of why is Ozzy Osbourne in this comic? Ah, uh, yes. Oh, okay, Bob. Thank you. All right, let's 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 jump dessert first. Let's go to the mystery school. So, uh, as I mentioned before, this is a very Ellis thing. Of here's three weirdos. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So you have he, they go in the process of of trying to find uh, Jardine's daughter. They go to this place called the Mystery School, Department F six six. They're apparently handling uh, the case, and so he's greeted by uh, well, yeah. So he's greeted by the uh, Chief Inspector Eccles, who in- introduces him to the I guess three agents of the Mystery School. So there's. Uh, Before Eccles, he does meet a strange man named Gideon. Yeah, as he's walking out. Yes, and they have an odd conversation that they do seemingly leads to nowhere. But someone, but someone spoiled it. But does it? I did. (laughs) I was gonna say, yeah, uh, that uh, that weird blonde guy did it. Just yeah, the one and only guy who could possibly who wasn't on the case. Just, I mean, he was like, I wish we could chat, but I gotta go. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a bunch of exposition. Cheers later. (laughs) Very, very suspicious now now that you put it that way. (laughs) But yeah, so we, so the mystery school, we got Constance Johansson, who is basically just gender swap John Constantine, uh, and all her friends are dead. We've got Inspector Strangefoot, who just looks like a guy who thinks he's Dr. Strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and is actually Doctor Strange Foot. That's what he likes to be called. Oh, do you think it's because he has hot toes, hot finger toes, hot knife toes? Uh, no, but I do believe now that he does spell casting with his toes. Oh, yeah. So you know how in the Marvel movies where it's mm-hmm. like they got the the rings yeah. and they're making the circles. Yeah, it's that, but he's got like a toe ring, which makes uh, sense. A sling again, toe ring. Oh, yeah. that's so fun. He's like, I got to cast a spell. Let me sit down. I guess he could float. Yeah, he could float. He could float. Yeah. Also, that probably means, though, he's wearing like Tiva sandals. Uh, Ew, gross. <laughs> yeah, agreed. And Bob. Uh, and Bob. I love Bob. fan of Oasis, Bob. Yes. I, the, Bob is the dictionary definition of 1996 long hair <laughs> oasis t-shirt built like ozzy during his rehab period uh shaggy from scooby-doo soul patch over his goatee oasis t-shirt i love him 
I feel like he's wearing the Oasis t-shirt ironically. Is he supposed to be like, so obviously he's a blur fan instead. Yes, exactly. Well, we have like the, you know, the John Constantine, Constantine, however you say his name, uh, stand in. You have the Dr. Strange stand in. Is Bob a stand in for anybody other than like every nineties person? I I think Bob is just Bob. You know, maybe, maybe he's a guy that Ellis knows. I don't know. The weird thing is Bob is clearly British, but I read him as like a burned out hip American hippie mm-hmm. in my head. Like I hear Tommy Chong from that 70s show. Yeah. 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 What does space monsters cringe at my tread mean? That, that I don't know, means... but I love it. <laughs> I I interpreted it. I did it. I, I meditated on that passage for a little bit. And the way that I interpret it is that, um, that aliens are afraid of being kicked by him. Oh, space monsters cringe at my tread, my tread or my yeah. shoes. I think somebody just got a little um, thesaurus happy. Highfalutin. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, does the mystery school ever come back? No. Oh, okay. Which is which is a goddamn shame, you know. I, I, but I mean, it screams of like lone gunman spinoff yeah. potential. Yes. Yeah, like I would watch this show at yeah. like nine o'clock on on Friday on a Friday night on Fox. Yeah, totally. I I love that. Um, like <laughs> they're like every time someone goes in there, they learn something that they never wanted to. That's why it's called the mystery school. That line made no sense. Like, I'm like I, I, I think that I feel like an A to C situation because yeah. if you're learning something, it should be called. Hmm, what should it be called? A school. Just school. <laughs> you're just learning. Stuff. You're just at school. The the uncomfortable epiphany school, the the oh revelation school, that's that's what it should be called. I like mystery school. I think they got mystery it. School sounds great, but then they have to come up with another story or reason why it's called mystery school. Yeah, and, it's the explanation that doesn't work. Yeah, and that it's not a school, which is fine. It's a police department, but it's very confusing. Yeah. And it's also run by a guy who clearly hates all of his uh, yeah. subordinates. Yeah. Like like in introducing him, he's like, Constant Johansson, can't stand the woman myself. Inspector Strangefoot. <laughs> She's supposed to be right called Doc- there, man. <laughs> she doesn't care. All her friends are dead. <laughs> oh, my God. On page 17, the, the following page, uh-huh. that image, that panel of Constance, uh, that looks like the most contemporary terry dodson figure yeah yeah okay i see that that's pretty darn good that's basically like it it looks like he wanted to draw sharon stone yes in a marvel comic and a white trench coat which i quite like i do i i she's fierce i'd read i'd read her book she is serving this is this is what I mean. And, you know, it doesn't need to be in connection with Pete Wisdom. You know, Marvel's trying to make Mar- Midnight Suns happen again. Yep. There's, there's no reason, you know, we can't do like a, a, a Marvel UK book or something like that. Or I don't know. Darkhold Redeemers with F66, something like that. I, don't know. I mean, they're <laughs> onto something here. Like this could be the Da Vinci Code before the Da Vinci Code, you know? Yes. I second that. I say, as I loudly sip LaCroix, Patreon. (laughs) I got to stay hydrated. 
So uh, just going back a second. So Pete and Kitty are in London to visit Jardine, who is one of Pete's friends from the intelligence community. Uh, we met Jardine in Excalibur 88 during the Dream Nails trilogy. And he's actually the one who explained to Kitty that Pete's a good person because he saved his daughter once. And uh, he was introduced alongside some other mates who Pete knew from spying. But Jardine is the only one who makes repeat appearances and comes back. So he's basically okay. Pete's only work friend. Ah, He is going through it when we meet him in this comic on page 11, you know, this, the first panel he's shadowed. We can't really see what his emotional experience is. The mm -hmm. second panel, he is like crying rivers of tears down his face. And then by the fourth panel, he's like furious <laughs> and, you know, and no tears. Uh, you know, I did not know that they had a previous relationship. The first time I, when I saw that page, I was like, this guy did it. I don't trust this guy. <laughs> he's in the shadows. He's erratic. And, and you know, then, like, I don't think his daughter's real. The, yeah, the way that that scene ends on page 11, as he's looking out the window, I mean, he looks like a villain. Yeah. yeah the tears are gone. They're walking away. And it's like, you know, he's lured them into a trap. Yeah. No, I don't know. I didn't trust him. Amanda's cool though. Photo photojournalist going underground, popping up, disturbing her dad. I'd read her book too. Yeah, no, uh, Amanda's great. Uh, I, I do feel like the thing of her disappearing again after that was like the first time she was, you know, mentioned off panel or whatever is, is, is kind of redundant. Um, Another another thing, and and also like the the panel of Jardine kind of facing them from across his desk with like the bars of the window, yeah, kind of stretching across the floor. That's 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 a good panel. Yeah, but the whole very scene, film noir. Yeah, well, and that's what I was going to say. So this this page predates the reference I'm about to make, but it the vibe is similar to the scene in the Big Lebowski when the rich Jeffrey Lebowski is in seclusion. Yeah. Mm, I see it. <laughs> this is totally. this strong men also cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Man. Now that you've said that, I'm not going to be able to unsee that. <laughs> What's weird about this guy's erratic emotions also though, is Amanda's just working and she's totally fine. Right. She's like doing some research and who can you reach in the nineties? You know, <laughs> no, yeah, no cell phones. Yeah. You know, like you don't hear from a person for a couple of days. You don't presume serial killer. She's not answering her AOL instant messenger. <laughs> her away message has been up for days. <laughs> I've paged her beeper five times. <laughs> I sent her a fax that just says, where are you? <laughs> I wrote it in the big letters out of a bunch of ones. <laughs> oh boy. Um so in the hotel scene when they're discussing the killer, Pete mentions that Britain never had a a Charles Xavier or a government competent right. enough to hunt down mutants. He says over here mutants have always lived in the dark. This was interesting to me. Because as much as Excalibur has always been the British super team with mutants in it, it hasn't it really hasn't delved that deeply into mutant culture. You know, uh, Excalibur and especially the Marvel UK Captain Britain comics that came before it were always obsessed with like multiverse stuff and magic mm -hmm. and Merlin and doing blatant Doctor Who riffs. 
you know, there's there's no parliament version of Senator Kelly or like Henry Peter Gyrick, Minister of Mutants or whatever. You know, you, you get the weird happenings organization, but they're investigating a dragon powered train that came from a world where the Nazis won World War Two. You know, it's it was deliberately for for Claremont and Davis, the book where they got to put the heavy mutant shit on the back burner and engage in farce mm. and, and, yeah. you know, comedy. It's kind of a relief, you know, because we don't have to worry so much about, um, you know, the, the, the bigotry side of X-Men stories, like the way that England is kind of described to this issue. It's like, well, we don't really worry about that stuff. You know, <laughs> closet is the, implication i guess that's guys. true yeah so yeah to me, i think that it's like a even more well, oppressive I don't, know, like, I, I don't know if i read it as like we're all in the closet i read it as like the government's not that concerned to hunt everybody down mm, i don't know i don't know like part of me is just like you know i never considered like oh i guess it is kind of nosy of Charles Xavier to send his, you know, to, you know, locate all of them. I guess, I I mean, like, I guess, like, America is way less respectful of people's privacy than England, where England is just like, as long as you do it behind I mean, not in reality. (laughs) (laughs) England, big time, big brother state. Yeah. You know, Um, uh, but but in the way that it's presented here, it just feels like, eh, you know, Mutants, we've got them. We're not really worried about them. How are you, how are you interpreting it, Dan? It's the I, in thinking about it, I, I was wondering if maybe the part of the reason mutants and and the phrase, you know, I'm I'm kind of thinking about keying in on that "live in the dark" phrase, but like, you know, the one mutant team they have is off having, you know, wacky adventures and, and sort of not involved in like rescue or or investigating you know corrupt politicians or anything like that uh yeah but also if there were a british xavier he'd be redundant and also he'd basically just be timothy dalton from doom patrol Mm. which would be great yeah that's true Yeah, so I, I I don't know, and there's also I mean there's nothing saying that every country you know there needs to be a one to one like every country has its own, you know, especially mutant team, mutant persecutors, you know what I mean? I mean especially yeah. in Marvel where everything is just clustered in New York anyway. But yeah. I get the impression based on you know what you've just been saying, you know the Excalibur stories, you know the 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 the, the mutant the British, not the British told. The American told British stories of yeah. mutants going over to England was a way of escaping the kind of mutant problem type of stories. Yes. And you could have fanciful escapades with Arthurian legends and things like that and not have Ugh, the racist senator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh, the goddamn sentinels again. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, is not accurate to what goes on in England. Yeah. You know, like they would have all the same mutant problem conversations that we would have. But because it's Marvel Comics, we get to escape that stuff by going over to Excalibur land. This is all also pre-Brexit, so maybe things were fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess you don't really like when there are like dragon trains. 
from the past, like Nazi dragon trains. You're just like mutants, whatever. <clears throat> There's adventure afoot. <laughs> Let's go just travel the multiverse for 12 issues straight. That was a that was a story. Um, if you've never re read the uh, Cross Time Caper, I highly recommend it. I need to read it. Yeah, I need to read more Excalibur in general. Like I've only read like the more recent Excalibur stuff. Mm -hmm. Like the uh, like the Teeny Howard stuff. Yeah, or? yeah, okay. yeah. All yeah. the the Krakoan era Excalibur. Mm -hmm. That's like the first time I ever bought an Excalibur comic in my life. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, classic Excalibur is, is very enjoyable. So uh, as they're examining the carvings on the skeleton toward the end, Pete says that he knows someone who might be able to translate uh, them. And then he says, are you ready to meet my family? This could have been a good last pager. I feel that like that, that would have been a stronger last pager. But instead, we get another car chase and the fossilizer. Uh, which oh, rag, yeah, exactly. Attacks their new loner car. Pete flames on, blows up the vehicle with his Dorito fingers. Uh, and as the two walk away from their latest car wreck, they're watched from afar by a woman with dark hair and a red stripe. And it's basically just the lead singer from Republica. <laughs> like, I, I googled it to make is? sure. <laughs> Are we or do we do we know who this person is? Um, Lisa knows. I we still have to go later. back. Yeah. Okay. But, but like it, like I shouldn't see this person and go like, Oh, that's so-and-so from Excalibur issue. No, whatever. This okay. is a, this is a new character. Yeah. And, and also looking ready at to this go. action scene with the hot fingers. Um, he doesn't actually touch the car. Does he like uh, the fossilizer? He like, yeah, he does touch the car. And later we're told how the fossilizer's powers work and the way it's described doesn't sound like it should work on a car. No, but I mean the hot fingers action scene. This oh, this flower? shot here, right? He doesn't touch oh, okay. the car, right? It, 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 his hot fingers come out. Yeah. And then we have long rays are those so those, those are, are his hot fingers? So they they go pretty far. They go really yeah. far. Okay, that's more than a few feet. That's yeah, like he like he's supposed to shoot them. That that's the thing. They're yeah, not like it's Cyclops yeah. fingers. You were right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> if you were seeing them in real time, this... like you know how like when you see someone kick a foot in a comic, you see lots of feet. But if you were you were if you were actually there, you wouldn't see lots of feet. You just see one kick. Like do you I think I would be just as nauseous to see his hot fingers in action in this sequence as he felt <laughs> being phased through the roof of that car. The, the cosmic implications of his hot fingers is a lot. But that but you interrupted my question, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is if we were seeing <laughs> the hot knives in person, would we see them have this long ribbon that connects back to his fingers? Or would we just see it as pew, something goes through the air like a bullet? Hot fingers. Based on what we see here, they're connected. Yeah, but you know, if they were, if he was shooting a bullet, it would be connected, or if he was shooting an arrow, it would well, be connected. like because visually, metaphorically, you yes. see the. Is that are those motion lines, or does his fingers get long and hot? Yeah. Okay. okay so it's the, all yeah, of this... that physical, I guess. <laughs> Let and, me and, know. <laughs> and also, where on the on the electromagnetic spectrum are we supposed to? Yes. You know what I mean? Like if 
what the, what's to say this isn't ultraviolet light, but they have to right. draw it because it's comics. Like we're going right. we're going with like red orange out of the Crayola box here. I'm pretty literal. I see it as connected. Yeah, but I like I'm not really that interested in what is true or right. What I am interested in is what Dan thinks. So do you when you imagine your hero when you Pete read this Wisdom, scene, when you look at this page, do you say long hot fingers or do you think pew pew? I I think pew pew. Pew pew, yeah. Okay. Yes. I don't know if the color works. Uh, yeah, I mean it's less silly if it's pew pew. <laughs> I mean maybe, maybe it's not pew pew one? so much. It's... <laughs> oh, I like that. Can he shoot one? Can he do like just one finger? Does it have to always be ten? Or yes, five? he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to go full, uh, full flame hands uh, full every time. Yeah, okay. full right. flame phalanges. <laughs> I apologize. I I did sidetrack everything because again, my mind's blown by the ability. No, that's okay. That's okay. I uh, like. I am of the opinion that, like, every mutant ability does exist. I go. I go. Grant Morrison. Like, there is there is a person whose elbows are raspberries, and that's their only mutation. You know what I mean? So, like, to me, you know, hot fingers barely blows my mind. Got it. Razzy bows. <laughs> See, and, and like, and then he'd he'd show up, and Xavier would be like, "You, you can leave. <laughs> like, just wear a sweater and be on your way." <laughs> so the lead singer of Republica shows up. Yep. Yes. Uh, yeah. Fierce. We, we don't Looking know. Fierce red money piece. Those are back, by the way. Getting getting the front getting that front stripe. I didn't realize it had gone away because I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> yeah. So she's there. The killer is in his little closet sized room full of books. Some of which are hanging from the ceiling. There's like a Bible in the foreground. I don't know why those books are hanging. Or I had questions about that too. I thought maybe he was throwing the books for a second but that would imply like he was throwing them behind them, but he's facing the camera. You know, because I didn't know who he was at the time. So I, right. I didn't really like register. I'm like, oh, it's a magic guy. But you're right. Why are those books floating? Uh, I They look like they're hanging to me. And I. He's like a, at a really whimsical public library. Again, what, the what is the actual publication date of this issue? Oh, uh, I can answer that. Cover date September ninety six. So this would have been early. Um, what's two months before? Like June or July ninety six. So it's a year after seven. Is that ninety? No, seven is seven ninety seven. Oh my gosh! Now I'm gonna have to look that up. What are you looking at? The movie Seven, the David Fincher film. Oh, hold on. So I think seven was ninety five. I think it's ninety five. So hold this on. is a year after. Yeah, seven's ninety five. Okay. So this is the year after seven. So like when I saw those books hanging there, I thought about like all the air fresheners oh. in that one dude's apartment yeah. that's <laughs> keeping his funk down. Well, that makes like no that, sense. No, I'm just, you know, you're like just, that. You're like, just free associating. Like, no, no, like you're trying to create. No, you're, 
you're trying to create a really creepy dude and creepy dudes have things dangling from their ceilings <laughs> like books or air fresheners. Okay, I follow you. You're right. I'm rolling don't, my eyes. Don't play Kate B. <laughs> or, or the sausage in that one scene and Freddie got fingered. There you go. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. Have not thought about Freddie got fingered since I saw it in the theater by uh, myself. What year did Freddie got fingered come out? Oh God, I want to say it was 2001. I feel like that was like yeah, one of the last movies before 9-11. <laughs> Uh, like I, I was so young and impressionable at that time. Two thousand one, correct. That like April eighteenth, two thousand one, the good times. I was so creeped out by the word "fingered" that to this day I just get like yuck chills. Have you seen Freddy Got Fingered? I have not. He swings a baby by its umbilical cord, like uh, like as like you're swinging a baby by its umbilical cord. <laughs> Why is it? I, you don't have to be a poet. Um, wow, I'm so sad I missed that one. It's 87 minutes, Lisa. <laughs> I have the time. You got time. just enough to be considered feature length. <laughs> yeah. I had, unfortunately, I have to be somewhere really important in 86 minutes. But yes, so <laughs> this is just like seven and or <laughs> Freddy Freddy got finger. or a whimsical public library. <laughs> nope just those first two things <laughs> and then like the last panel is james spader with a gun yeah he it's just look like well, james spader. he looks like blacklist aged james spader lisa no yes he does i refuse no you know you're a pretty boy james spader he's long gone in the past <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then there's just more men in black suits in their in their hotel room with guns uh the other guy looks like tony stark so he does there's that I was gonna go with Phil Coulson before James Spader, but I think you're you're more accurate. That, like have you other... looked at James Spader in the blacklist. I have. That's that guy. No, because James Spader. Well, now I'm gonna be hurtful. James Spader has more of like what is the under chin thing? Let's not talk about that. Okay. Let's not talk about that under chin <laughs> thing. <laughs> the double chin. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got he's got fuller cheeks and a different shape of nose. In 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 other words, a completely different face. That's that's you... James Spader if you couldn't get the likeness rights to James Spader. There you go. There you go. It's, this is James Spader as much as this is referencing that scene from Seven. <laughs> as if not at How all. How dare you? How dare you? Like a finger knife right to your heart. Uh, fingers. I, I keep calling. I keep calling the wrong thing. It's not because I disrespect Hot knives. It. Hot knives. That's right. Oh God! But but that is the comic. Uh, in a, in a nutshell. So uh, you know, any any sort of closing thoughts or or things that you wanted to touch on that we haven't uh, brought up yet before we move on to the next segment. You know, like when I was growing up in this period, I used to think like. There's no style today, you know, right. like the 80s had a style, the 70s had a style, but there's no style now. And now I go back and I read a comic from this era and I'm like, whoa, this is dated. This is definitely of that era. Yeah. Not in a negative way, necessarily. I thought the 90s were, though. We're like, I'm just wearing a T-shirt and a flannel every day. This is not a style. And then you put on a middle school production of annie and everybody 
like you're like bring your own costume orphans and they all show up looking like they're about to go see nirvana and i go oh this is dated but you also read it and you go like okay i can see where this talent is going to rise you know terry dodson mm -hmm. uh, again noted sex pest warren ellis screw that guy but you can right. see like this is the beginning of what he'll eventually become he's not quite there yet uh in talent but mm -hmm. There's we're we're close to Transmetropolitan, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. There's there's something here. And if I was reading this back then, I would feel like, well, you know, I mean, it must have been popular because it was having a, a spinoff series. But I would feel like, you know, part of the Cool Kids Club reading this comic. Like, I've been making light and pointing out, like, the things about it that are, like, silly or extra. But, like, ultimately... I did read all of all three you issues. You didn't stop at issue one. Because I was both charmed and curious. You know what I mean? How how it was all going to get pulled off in the end. And so, like, to me, I go, like, eh, worth it. I, I was entertained by it for the, you know, you know, 40 minutes I was reading. And I love, like, these couples miniseries. Yeah, right? me too. You know, when you get a Rogan Gambit, you get a Pride and Wisdom, you get a... Cyclops and Jean Grey story. They can never last beyond a few arcs. If 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 you get two arcs like Rogan Gambit, you know, you're mm -hmm. you're pretty darn lucky. Um, but I, I like I like the idea of centering a couple and seeing, you know, what it's like away from the team. Well, I what I want what I want from Pride and Wisdom is more actual entertaining like like we don't have the scene where they go to the cajun restaurant you know what i mean we like don't get to see them like, oh, just been work 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 let's have a date night let's go to the theater like or you know let's let's have you know let's have a, a deep conversation well, in a cab that's let's the thing is you know the, the comic couldn't support an entire like a, a continuing an ongoing series right. right but i imagine if you got an ongoing series of pride and wisdom that it would be 100% our jam. Right, right. You know, but three issues has to be so plot focused. Right. And there is so much plot where like a serial killer is enough. You know, it doesn't have to be a zealot slash, you know, uh, you know, delusional whatever. Like the all of the different the layers of plot. It was just too much. Pare it down. Edit. Edit. <laughs> you know, put a like. What is that? Is it Chanel? I I don't know fashion enough. Where you you um before you leave uh to go out for the day, take something off. Oh, that's what. <laughs> Somebody knows what I'm referencing. Not not, not in these this. <laughs> 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 oh, now I want to Google it, but that would be rude. You can you can Google it later. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. No, good, good, good points. One and all. Uh, <laughs> That's generous. <laughs> but uh, let's, let's kind of run through the stats of this issue. Let's do a wisdom check. So uh, how many pages does wisdom appear in 18, nearly the whole damn thing? Because I mean, obviously his name's on the cover. So uh, best words of wisdom. There are, there are a lot of great lines in this book. Uh, but none are as much a statement of purpose for Pete as, I told you, cigarettes and scotch are my food. Uh, Pete is a self-aware bastard, and I love him for it. 
Uh, honorable mention, though, does go to Bob for the line, Space Monsters cringe at my tread. <laughs> I'm going to incorporate that into my lingo. Toreg stays out of the vocabulary. Yep, nope. Uh, Bob, Bob and his tread, it's in there. Um, okay, that's funny because next is best insult, and uh, I had to give it to Torag because because <laughs> it's, it's back. It's like the McRib; it's come back, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just as offensive as the McRib. <laughs> hey, it's in the shape of ribs. That's that's all that matters. <sighs> oh God. Does he use his hot knives in this issue? Yes. And as we mentioned, uh, every artist draws Pete's and the hot knives differently. Dotson is going with uh, Doritos on the ends of his hands, which it makes me feel like if I wanted to cosplay as Pete, uh, first I need a wig, but I also need to glue Cool Ranch chips to my fingers, which I feel like would just mess up the like clearance rack men's warehouse suit that I'd have to buy to complete the ensemble. Although, I think you could seal it with Mod Podge. If you Mod Podge to the Doritos so that the dust doesn't come off. I'm just spitballing. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. It's not just for sealing puzzles. <laughs> it has many uses. You can seal anything with Mod Podge. Maybe. No, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, maybe he could put it over his fingers, just in, ca- just in case, so he doesn't get the hot fingers. To, oh, to, during the lovemaking, yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I believe in Mod Podge. And now comes in Matt. Okay. Ooh, okay. It's good to know. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, it, it occurred to me in, in, in doing this segment that whenever I talk about Pete and his clothes, I end up making fun of the men's warehouse. But I bought a suit from them from a wedding two years ago, and it looked damn good. But also, I'm not a superhero. <laughs> yeah. Men's Warehouse gets the job done. Uh, also, exactly. where I got my wedding suit. Yeah. His and ex. my funeral suit. Yeah. Yeah. Same suit. Same suit. <laughs> Same suit. <laughs> uh, does he smoke in this issue? Yes. He's home, and there are no shrill Scots women to tell him no, whom he'll ignore and do it anyway. So, yes, he lights up plenty in this comic. Uh, Fashion Watch, again, Pete's in the same rumpled suit. Uh, so I'm giving all my fashion praise to Bob for his Oasis t-shirt. Uh, first runner-up is Constance Johansson for her white trench coat. Yeah. Into it. Uh, letters, there's no letter column, so we don't need to go into that. Uh, meanwhile, in some of the other comics that came out that week, New Warrior 75, the final issue of the original run, a bunch of the original members reunite to fight Volks, the Dire Wraith Queen. I don't know who that is. Uh, X-Men Brood Day of Wrath number one of two, a sequel to an uncanny X-Men story from the 1980s involving the wife of an evangelist reverend who's infected with a brood embryo, written by former seminary student John Ostrander and drawn by Brian Hitch. Rad. Yes. I got to read that. I, I I did not read that when it came out. I was like, it's only two issues, and I don't like the brood. I'm going to skip it. But I've heard good things about it. Do you still not like the brood? I still really. I mean, they, there have been good brood stories. Don't get me wrong. And in fact, I think the arc that they just did in X Men, where Cyclops mm-hmm. wanted to do a genocide, and Gene said no, uh, I think is going to be a seed for very interesting things coming up very yeah. soon. So 
there absolutely have been good good uses of the brood and i like the character brew so yeah brew's great yeah there's that um and uh in the further adventures of cyclops and phoenix number four scott summers and gene gray witnessed the birth of mr sinister but just the one mr sinister not all four of them it's kind of wild that those two series like this series and that series were coming out at the same time two two couple series yeah yeah Man, there was there was a glut, there was a glut of X Men ser- miniseries in the mid nineties. I think Domino had one. Um, oh God, there was like an Archangel one shot. Colossus gets a one shot in a little bit. It's just, it was a lot. This is what I had to like start paring back my pull, and I was like, "Don't get me yeah. every X Men thing." <laughs> I love that Cyclops and Jean Grey miniseries though. Like I hadn't read it in a long time, but we covered it as I think our fourth episode of the podcast ever. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And we had a great time digging back into that series. Um yeah, I think like it it brings up a lot of the same weird nostalgic problematic feelings that this story does. Yeah. Um but with that futuristic glaze on top <laughs> so tasty mod podge it's called mod podge, mod podge. <laughs> available in matt now <laughs> uh ad watch so this one is heavy on ads for movies i have never seen Ooh. Uh, Ooh. we've got tales from the crypt bordello of blood yeah. first r-rated movie I ever saw in a theater nice okay starring dennis miller yep because <laughs> we didn't know back then uh <laughs> Again, 9-11 hadn't happened yet. Uh, Alaska starring Thora Birch and Charlton Heston. Probably one of the last Charlton Heston movies. Whoa, I have yeah. no idea what that is. I don't either. I showed it to my wife and I'm like, do you recognize this movie? She's like, nope. But, Heston uh, and Birch. Weird. Yeah. And I think it's got another one of those kids with that haircut. And my wife still had never seen it. <laughs> Sounds dreamy. Yeah. Into it. <laughs> uh what else we got we got east coast comics we got chomp the gummy savers video game we got joe's apartment we got fleer 1996 exl motion baseball cards aw root beer mile high comics dave's comics the virtual boy and the crow city of angels oh virtual boy and crow city of angels what a time to be alive <laughs> i was there and i was into all of that stuff except alaska <laughs> <laughs> I gotta look up Alaska. We're gonna watch it tonight. Oh wait, I only have eighty-eight minutes, and I have to watch Freddy Scott Fingered. <laughs> uh, you've got your movie viewing planned out for the whole week now. It's <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> uh, uh, Brad, Lisa, you guys have been a delight as always. Uh, how can people follow you online and support the things that you're doing? Uh, you can find us on all social medias at CBCC Podcast. Uh, head over to the website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com. Listen to our podcast. Uh, we're current. If you want. No. No pressure. You, no, you should don't do it. want to, you got to listen to it. Okay. We're currently working through our counseling sessions regarding Mark and Eve from Invincible. Uh, we are. We're, ba- we're basically doing it by reading the last few trade paperbacks at uh, Post parenthood, so it's an interesting time to hop on their romantic timeline. Uh, the next episode on them will be covering the Full House storyline, 
And uh, we have some creator conversations. We just had a two-part Tom King episode, part one, talking about the Brave and the Bold, in which Mitch Jarrods also joined. And uh, uh, part two was on Danger Street, which Ooh. is a series that I am truly loving over at DC Comics. Right on. Well, uh, next month, we go back to the island for Excalibur 102 and more post-Onslaught stuff because Warren Ellis has two issues left until retirement and there's no point in starting a new story now. But don't worry, we've still got two more issues of Pride and Wisdom left to cover. So until next time, listeners, sawed off toe rag. <laughs> Alaska directed by Charlton Heston's son. Ah, yeah. that's sweet. Little Nepo Nepo situation. <laughs> Little Nepo baby. Yeah. <laughs>